You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us most. Those words were immortally spoken by Marianne Williamson. And for those of you who don't know her, you should definitely look into her book, A Return to Love. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. Our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you a download for free of your favorite audiobook. They will also give you a one-month free trial of their entire service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. You can enjoy this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, on the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Also on the website, you will find my free gift to you, a powerful transformational ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. When you apply the communication secrets that you'll discover in this book, you'll go from invisible to visible to sought after and highly in demand. I would love to know what you're getting from this show and also what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send me your comments to Lewis. L-O-U-I-S at changeyourstorypodcast.com I promise to read all of your comments and to choose some of them to share with all of the other storytellers on a future show. Today's guest is a woman who definitely stepped into the deepest fear that I talked about at the opening of this show and she lives in a place way beyond it. A fascinating entrepreneur, an inspiring trainer and coach who specializes in empowering women through her program called Women of Power. She's an actress who produced, directed, and starred in her own first stage play when she was in the fourth grade. She made her professional film debut in the Hollywood feature movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. She worked with Sylvester Stallone in Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Her numerous credits include The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, JAG, HBO's Tales from the Crypt, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and La Femme Nikita, as well as Steven Spielberg's The Lost World. She's also very athletic and has worked as a stuntwoman. She has a deep spiritual side and a passion for personal development. 
In 2006, after just 18 months of being a student of Peak Potential's courses, she became the first woman to lead the life-transforming course called Enlightened Warrior Training Camp. How do I know it's life-transforming? Because it transformed my life. This is her mission in her own words. I am here to touch, move, and inspire others to live in their purpose with power and passion. And it is my great honor and joy to introduce to you guys today and to welcome to the show, Marjean Holden. Marjean, thank you so much for being a guest on Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Well, it's always it's always been fun whenever I've been in a course where you were participating both as a student and a trainer, which is what inspired me to want you to come onto the show and, you know, spread your light to um, my audience. <laughs> so where were you born, Marjean? I was actually born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So you were born in a place that gets cold winters, eh? Very cold. Very cold. <laughs> I mean, we didn't stay there. Um, I We moved when I was seven, but we moved to an equally as cold place in Colorado, up into the mountains, um, up in the Vale Valley. So I'm used to it. I, I was used to very cold weather when I was a kid. So that's probably one of the reasons that you now live in California. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of partial to warmer weather. Yeah, I'm getting that way too. I live in Canada, and luckily I live in Toronto, which is not um, an ice-cold city, but it, it can have some brutal months. Exactly. So, <laughs> Margie, did you come from a big family? Um, not, I guess not big by many standards. I have a, I have one sibling, uh, two siblings, a brother and a sister. I was going to say one, one of each of the, you know, siblings, one brother, one sister, mom and dad. So there were five of us. Um, we had our own little party of five. And what was your early childhood like? Um, let's see. It was a lot of playing outdoors, a lot of being, uh, you know, adventurous and a little bit wild. Uh, like I said, I grew up in uh, Minneapolis and in Colorado. So once we left Minneapolis, which, you know, the winters were always great because when you're a kid, you don't feel the cold. You know, you really don't feel it. So uh, Minneapolis was one of those places where, yeah, there's lots of snow and let's build tunnels and forts and things like that and, and then go inside and try to get warm. And then in Colorado, once we moved there, it was a lot of outdoor activities. It's like learn to ski, um, get on the mountain, have a season pass. And we, we were constantly outside um, doing things. You know, we didn't have the technology that we have these days. So um, we were outside. I was always into sports, always very athletic, very involved in all of my school um, activities. I had a very relatively small school. We had about 365 students in my entire school at that time. And, you know, so everybody knew everybody. <clears throat> it was, it, there was rarely a moment when it was like, oh, who are you? Unless we got a new student that was, that was from overseas or, you know, moved into town. But everybody was pretty tight. I mean, I've got friends that I've known since I was in the second grade. 
Um, so we've known each other on the upside of like 43 years. Wow, that's that's amazing. Now, yeah. um, it's interesting you said you're into What was your favorite sport as a kid? My favorite sport as a kid, um, let's see, for competition, track and field was always you know, one of those things that I was like, yeah, I love track and field. But once I got into, um, you know, sort of junior high, the, the, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, um, volleyball started coming into the picture and high school volleyball, track and field. I played basketball, but my ultimate overall favorite sport was volleyball. That's Mm. what I really excelled at, um, greatly went to, to college on a volleyball scholarship and, you know, that was the, that was, that was my sport. That was it. You know, uh, I love something you said about being a kid and playing outdoors and being adventurous and wild. But you said, as a kid, you don't feel the cold. And what it made me think of is, yeah, but why? It's the same cold that everyone experiences, but a kid doesn't focus on it. And as you know, what we focus on expands, doesn't it? Exactly. That's beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's the story. It's always the story. Now, <laughs> did you have a dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yep. I knew in <laughs> I knew in fourth grade I was going to be an actress. That was it. I was like, I came home. I told my mom, I'm going to be an actress, and that's what I'm going to do. And she was like, uh, that's nice. That's a, that's nice. And that's that was it. That was it. I knew. And everything I did um, after that was geared towards me becoming becoming an actress, an entertainer. Well, you know what? That's wonderful. How did you know in the fourth grade? You know what? I think it was just, it was that, that taste of, of being in a performance, you know, producing, directing, and starring in, you know, this little play that we did in fourth grade called, you know, The Three Little Pigs. Um, back then Disney put out, uh, their stories on, you know, on vinyl for those of you who are listening to this, who may not know what vinyl is, it's a record. It went on a record player. Um, and you know, and they had these stories and the three little pigs was one of the stories that they had put out on an, on an album. And we said, I said, Oh, let's do this play. And I got a bunch of my friends. We did all the props. We cast everybody. We, you know, performed, you know, lip synced to this, you know, to this album of the Three Little Pigs. And then that was it. Like, that was it. I just knew. I was like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm doing. Fantastic. That is just wonderful. Now, who did you look up to most when you were a kid? Who influenced you the most? I think my greatest influence when I was a kid was probably my dad. You know, um, he was, you know, he was kind of all, did did a lot of different things. Um, he was a police officer. He volunteered a lot of his time. He, uh, you know, even though he was a very stern, unemotional man, um, <clears throat> I really looked up to him because he was super athletic. Um, and, you know, he was always out there, you know, doing things in the community, always out there helping other, other people out. And... That was a really, you know, and not that my mom didn't do that, too, because my mom did that as well. But, you know, as a little girl, it's like, you know, that was he was really my hero figure. And I Mm. looked up to him and, you know, and really shaped a lot of who I am 
you know, as, as we do around our parents, both, both parents, <laughs> mom and dad, looking at the things that, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that. And, oh, that's just like my mom. That's like my dad. Ooh, that part. Mm. I'm going to have to work on that one. That one's not so cute. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know that all too well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, how did you, both your parents, respond to your persistent desire to be an actress when you were a kid? You know, I was the kid that if I said I was going to do it, I was going to do it. And they really didn't um, stand in my way. You know, I come from a a family of entertainers, mostly in the music industry. Um, Just about everybody on my dad's side of the family is in uh, the music industry. They, They either sing or they play an instrument or they produce or they write music or, you know, they do a combination of all of them. And I really didn't have that singing factor. But entertainment was always in our family. Um, I had a, uh, my grandfather on my dad's side was a prominent jazz musician in Seattle in, um, you know, in the early days and was a very influential uh, member of the, the jazz community. And mm. so, so that I didn't really get, I didn't get a lot of kickback from them as far as, oh, you can't do that. Um, they knew that. You know, I was very headstrong and very stubborn, just, you know, like a perfect combination of both my parents put together. (laughs) And it wasn't something that they were going to try to stop because they knew that I wasn't having it. And when I got into college and, you know, put myself through college on a on a scholarship and, you know, they kind of figured, well, you know, if she's if she's paying for her own way and she's making it, then she's, you know, she's doing it and Mm. let her, let her do it. You know, Mm. if that's what she really wants to do, then, then go for it, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. That is really wonderful. You said that your grandfather was in the jazz community. Do you like jazz? I'm, you know what I have to say? I honor jazz. I respect jazz. And I am not a huge fan of listening to jazz. Okay. There are, I mean, there's a, there are, you know, certain artists that like the Louis Armstrongs and, you know, uh, the Miles Davis that I will listen to that I did listen to when I was growing up because my, my you know, father and, and mother both, you know, my mom was an accomplished musician as well, like played the piano and, and you know, the organ and things like that. So, you know, it was always prominent in our household. It, it's not my favorite. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for jazz because mm-hmm. it is one of the most complicated, um, as far as technical aspect goes in music, it's one of the most complicated um, forms of music to, yeah. to actually to play. So yeah. because yeah. of the, you know, the, the measures and things like that are all quite different. So, I was just curious because it is my passion. I love I love jazz, ah. and I was fortunate to grow up in New York when Miles Davis and the greats that they were all playing there, and I actually got to meet John Coltrane. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just ugh. 
it, 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 it really, really touched my life. So let me ask you, you've been in the film business. I'm in the film business as well. Can you share one of your most memorable experiences in the film business? It can be positive or, or not, depending. Oh, memorable, anyway. Memorable. Just, just one. Jeez. Well, yeah, well, because oh. if we do more, we could do. We could spend the entire. Unless you want to do two or three podcasts, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is true. We could want do one just specifically on that. Let's see. One of the most, my most memorable moments. Um, I I'm gonna have to say, I auditioned for. Um, there's. I'll give you two real quick ones. I auditioned for um, the movie. Mortal Kombat, Annihilation, the second one. And, you know, I had auditioned and then gotten a callback and then another callback. And five callbacks later, I still hadn't, you know, secured the part. So it was like one of those, like, wow, seriously, really? Like, all of this? Because normally, you know, film industry, they, they, you know, television, it's like you go in, you read, you audition and... Then you go to either you go to producers right away the next day and you find out that day you got the job. A movie, a little different. You know, movie's not starting for, for three months. You know, they're in pre-production, so they're not under as much pressure. But boy, I tell you, uh, that day, <laughs> there, there, there were two really big days for yeses in, in my world in, in the film industry. Um, uh, and that was one of them. Like when that call came in from my manager and she was like, you got it. And I was like, oh, wow, God, this is amazing. Thank you. Like, like this is this is incredible. That day and the day I found out I had a television series um, called Crusade, which was the Babylon 5 spinoff series. I was like, I remember sitting in my house. I was just sitting in my apartment and the phone rang and it was my manager, Dora. And she was like, uh, Margie, because she always called me Margie. Um, she never called me Margie. And she said, Margie. And I was like, yes. She's like, you got it. And I was like, what? What? You know, because in the film industry, you hear no so often that when you hear yes, you're like, really? Are you sure? Like, you're sure, right? You know? Have you and, signed? Yeah. Have you signed the contract yet? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm uh -huh. like, where's the contract? You know, and that, that, you know, for television series, it's a little different because they, you know, when you go in for the screen test, you, your contract is already signed. So once they call to say, yes, it's, it's a done deal. Cause before you go in, you have to sign off on your deal. And so that, the, so that nothing changes after you get the part. So every, all the negotiations are done up front. Everything's locked in. You know, it's like there was a, there, there were two other women that I was, that I was up against for, for this particular part. And I thought, okay, well, this is great. I've, I've got a, you know, a screen test and, and, you know, got this contract already signed. So all I can do is cross my fingers and hope that my performance was amazing and that they say yes. And, and the yes came and it was like, oh, this is fantastic. Oh my God. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, Crusade, uh, how long of a gig uh, has it been for you? You know, that one was only, um, it, was, it was 13 episodes. We called them the, the 13 lost episodes of Crusade. Um, it was meant to last for five years, just like uh, Babylon 5 had. But there was a difference in opinion in the network and the executive producer. 
and he didn't want to compromise. And I totally respected him for not wanting to compromise the kind of product that he wanted to put out. They wanted one thing, he wanted another. And he said, no, I won't make that show. I, I absolutely won't make that show. So I, I absolutely love and adore J. Michael Straczynski for that reason, um, because he stuck his ground and he didn't cave to the pressures of what a network wanted um, and stuck with his integrity, which was a huge lesson for me. Like, stay with the integrity of your project. Don't compromise it because something else will come will come out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what role were you playing? I played Dr. Sarah Chambers. Um, our mission was to find a cure for the Drock plague that had hit, you know, Earth. So mm-hmm. we had a five-year mission to do that. So I was, I was the one that was going to be finding the cure for this plague that it had, had hit Earth. And we were out in space searching, you know, far and wide for how this thing mutated and, and to cure it. And uh, didn't quite get there. Didn't quite get there, but uh, but it was it was amazing. Thirteen episodes of amazing. Oh yeah, I, and it's wonderful to be on a series. Um, I was on one here in Canada for three years, and man, mm-hmm. yep, it's it's fun. Now you yeah. also you also were a stunt performer, and how did you uh-huh. become how did you become a stunt performer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I became a stunt performer because um, I had met a couple of uh, stunt men. While I was working on, um, I did an episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt. The stunt coordinator on the show was, we just became became really great friends. His name was Shane Dixon. Um, and, you know, he called me one day and he said, hey, look, I know you're this big actress and everything and, you know, but there really aren't any, you know, there's only a couple of black female stunt women and, you know, we could really use you. You could just come in, be part of the stunt crew, and, you know, it's all SAG anyway, you know, Screen Actors Guild. So I said, huh, okay. And at the time, he was a, a stunt coordinator with a group called Stunts Unlimited, which was a very big, big stunt, you know, uh, group. Had a lot of big stunt coordinators that did a lot of the, the major productions. And so he just sort of like brought me into his under his wing and into his fold and then introduced me to a couple other uh, stunt coordinators within that that group. And then they would just start calling and saying, hey, you know, do you want to work a couple of days on this project? Hey, do you want to work a couple of days on this project? And ultimately, really, I probably worked more, uh, to be honest, as a stunt person than I did as an actor. Because, you know, acting, you go out, you audition, you know, you audition, you audition, you audition, you audition, you know, and stunts, they were just, you know, hey, I got this show. Hey, I got this show. Can you come do this? Can you come do this? Can you come do this? And um, that's how I, that's how I got started. And then for 10 years, I did stunts in wow. addition to acting. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And, but now he, he, he obviously saw something in you, but. Were you not trained to do? Because, I mean, stunts are so specific and dangerous. Well, I wasn't trained. um, But the thing that I did have going for me was I was an athlete. I was an Uh. athlete. I had trained martial arts for 10 years. I was right in the middle of my training, of training martial arts. And he's like, you know, you could come in. You could do, you know, you could do fights. You could do, you know, just nondescript stuff. You could be just jumping out of the way of somebody. You know, and that's and and that's where we basically kind of focused was mm. what are the things that you do well? Um, I fight, I fight, I fight. 
you know, so a lot of my stuff was, you know, can you take a punch? Can you, <clears throat> can you throw a punch? Can you fall down? And can you make it look good? I didn't do a whole lot of doubling because there weren't that many actresses that were my height. Um, I did double, double two actresses. Um, you know, Aisha Tyler and, um, uh, <laughs> why am I drawing a blank now on the other one? Uh, Tyra Banks. Um, mm-hmm. Just because they were my height, you know, both of them, 5'11", six foot tall, and, you know, could, you know, they, and when they needed a double for one, you know, when Aisha Tyler was working on 24, and when Tyra Banks was working on a television series with Will Smith, or for Will Smith, he was producing it, and, you know, it it didn't happen very often. Uh, One of the reasons I started doing my own stunts was because there weren't any other, there weren't any other stunt women to double me. So mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. of the time, if I had a part that required something physical, I actually did everything myself because mm. there just wasn't anybody to double me. And there was a really big thing in the industry back in that, that time was, was either painting a, painting a girl down, a white girl down to double was a huge no-no. Um, we did it if we absolutely had to. And then even bigger was having a guy do it because there was a whole gender, gender thing there. So... Mm. Um, so yeah, so I ended up doing a lot of my own stunts, which, you know, which has been phenomenal because I've, I've just working in the stunt industry just had, you know, had such great opportunities to work on big projects that, that I didn't get the opportunity to, you know, audition for. And it was really nice being part of the stunt team. It's a, it's a definite team. I love working on team. And, you know, it, it just, it just was a completely different vibe. It was just a completely different vibe than acting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was your most dangerous stunt? God, let me see. The most dangerous stunt. One of them was, um, uh, I worked on speed two and I had another commitment to, to do, a. I think it was a, it was right around the same time as Mortal Kombat or something like that, and I had another commitment that I had to go and 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 do as an actor. So the stunt coordinator's like, "Well, you know, I can't keep you alive. I got to kill you." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Okay, what's that? What what are we gonna do?" So when they um, have to evacuate the ship in Speed Two, there were two of us that that ended up having to leave, and we ended up getting thrown overboard. So we did a, you know, I did a high fall into the ocean, into the water, um, at about 20, 20, maybe 25 feet, um, which was quite, um, you know, for me, first of all, it was heights. I hate heights. Second, it was water. Don't like that either. Um, fortunately it was in Key West, Florida, the water was warm. Um, but it was quite, quite fascinating because, um, the stunt coordinator said to me, he goes, just be careful because. You know, Tom's going over before you, so don't land on him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, you know. But it was a, it was fascinating because when we actually did, did the stun, I think we did it, ended up doing it twice, um, the current was so strong, even though the, the boat was, was docked, the current was so strong that as soon as, as we hit the water, it's like, you know, we started to, to just drift. Um, and, then a, and then a boat came through and picked us up, but... It was pretty. It was pretty scary. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, yeah. Scary. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Well, yeah. you know what? I think that was all preparing you for your journey in personal development, which Big time. <laughs> is scary as well. So yeah. when did when did you become interested in personal development? You know, I had always been interested in personal development. When I moved to L.A., um, I had met some people, um, some amazing women, and they were talking about the Landmark Forum. And they were like, oh, you should take the forum, take the forum, take the forum. And I was like, what's this thing, the forum? And they're like, oh, it's this personal growth thing. And, and oh, you'll really like it. So I checked it out, and I, and I liked the way it sounded. And so I took the Landmark Forum in 1989. And that was it. Like I was like, wow, this is a really cool path. I like this. And then just started reading books and, you know, grabbing anything I could in the realm of metaphysics and, you know, personal growth and started taking, you know, some other seminars and, and things like that. Because I was really just bound and determined to, you know, get more in touch with myself and who I am. And, and I wanted to stay solid and grounded in the film industry because I had so many experiences watching, you know, people on set, you know, actors that just weren't grounded. And for me... I thought that's not an option. That's not an option. Um, I want to know myself. I want to be solid in myself. And, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And then just one thing kind of led to another. And as one thing leads to, you know, one course will lead to another avenue that will open or a different group of people or a different mindset, you know. And that's how I think I was able to stay really grounded and present and, um you know, more on the upside of my self-esteem in the industry than just relying on the film industry to give me that, that fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, do I know that one well. That is, yeah. be that is beautiful what you just shared. Now, what personal development training influenced your life the most? Oh, there, boy. Were there specific courses or maybe individuals that you studied with that, that made the the biggest impact? Well, I, I have to say that, that probably, I mean, the Landmark Forum, of course, huge, huge in, influence. Um, I think I took three, four, four of their courses that over the years and absolutely loved them. Um, and then, of course, meeting, meeting T. Harvecker and the Millionaire Mind Intensive. That was... Like that was major for me, and all of his courses were were just like I had never experienced anything in that realm of um, you know how he calls it you know the edutainment you know educate and entertain at the same time and I thought oh my god that's brilliant that is just brilliant because you know I'd been to lectures before and sat and listened to people and it's like oh my gosh I I just I get, I get really, I tune out really easily. You know, it's like, you have to hold my attention. You know, it's like, it's gotta be like, you gotta be on point. So when I saw him and I thought, you know, found the energy that was going through his system, I thought, yeah, that's, that's the thing I like. I want to be part of that. How do I be part of that? Well, you know what? I'm not a six foot black woman. <laughs> oh, is that surprising to hear? No, but you and I have that totally in common. That when I began with the Millionaire Mind Intensive through T. Harv's organization, it totally changed the direction of my life. Exactly. Yeah. Now, um, 
how did you actually, because I love Harv, but Harv's uh-huh. energy, Harv's energy, correct me if I'm wrong, is extremely masculine energy. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's very attractive, but how did you win his trust and respect so that he (laughs) eventually turned around and said, okay, I'm going to let you lead one of the most difficult of all my courses, which is the the, uh, Enlightened Warrior Training Camp? Yeah. You know, you know that whole part earlier when we were talking about, you know, uh, how stubborn I was, you know, (laughs) stubborn I am, and that combination of my parents. You know, there's something that happens with me in my my life, for me, when the universe is trying to give me a message. Um, When I really fully jumped into his world, um, I was still acting. And what had started happening for me in acting was every time I went out on audition, I started having anxiety and I started panicking and I couldn't remember lines. I didn't know how to be on camera in an audition anymore. And I was like, something weird is happening and I'm not quite sure what. And it took about um, a year of okay, I'm just going to work through it. I'm just going to push through it. I, you know, I'd go to, I'd double up my acting classes. You know, I was at the same acting coach for 14 years. So I'd be like, okay, Rick, this, I, I, you know, I got to work through this thing. But there was one day um, after I had been in um, quite a few of, I think I had been in Harv's world in that, in the personal growth world for about, you know, about six to eight months. I had taken my Millionaire Mind Intensive. I had started to volunteer for the company. I had started spending more time there. I went out on an audition one day, a commercial audition. I had such bad anxiety that day, Lewis, that I said, that's it. Don't ever send me out again. And I called my manager and I said, I can't do this. Don't send me out anymore. I called my agent don't send me out anymore. And they were like, we, we, we cannot send you out. It's pilot season, you know, and for any actor, you know, in the middle of pilot season and any agent, it's like when an actor comes back and says, don't send me out again. It's like, what is wrong with you? It's pilot season. Like it's time. It's like, it's time. Like this is what we've been waiting for, for the last eight months. And I said, I can't do it. Don't call me again. And for probably five years, I did not go I didn't go near anything in the film industry because I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't muster it. And the universe was, you know, like had introduced me to this world of personal growth. And I thought, yeah, 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 that's nice. That's nice. I'm going to do that for myself. Um, But then it started pushing a little harder. Like, no, you need to go deeper. Uh, You need to go a little deeper. And as much as I tried to resist it, it kept coming up and kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And I thought, "Ah, okay, fine. And in, it was a distinct moment in 2004 when I was, uh, 2000, yep. 2004, I was at an event because I might took my millionaire mind in 2003. I was at an event exactly a year later after my, my MMI, I was at a course called wealth and wisdom. I was sitting in the back of the room. I was helping out. I was volunteering. I was, uh, looking on stage and every speaker that kept coming on stage was a guy. 
And I went, where are all the women? Where are all the women? Like, where are they? And I heard a voice say, you're going to be the first female trainer for Peak Potentials Training. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that means because I don't know what a trainer is, um, but uh, okay. And two months later, um, I took my Enlightened Warrior training camp. And when I was at camp, I, I sat there in that seat and I went, this is what I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach this. And two months after that, I was at my train the trainer learning how to present in the style that Harv teaches, um, which is accelerated learning. And he had said to me and looked up at me and he said, what do you want to teach? And I looked at him and I went, I want to teach Enlightened Warrior Training Camp. And he looked down at me or I, he looked up at, he looked up at me, I should say. He looked up at me because I'm six <laughs> foot and he's not. <laughs> he looked up at me and he kind of went, huh. And I looked down at him and I went, huh. And that's one of the, the stories that I tell on stage all the time because, you know, I thought I got to get through this man. I have to get through the, through this man and I'm going to do whatever it takes to do it. And so from that moment on, I started assistant, assistant trainer. I assisted 14 enlightened warrior training camps before he gave me the go ahead to lead one. I was there consistently. I was consistent. I was on the team. I left all of the industry behind and I thought this is the path that needs my attention right now. And it, and it took a while for me to, to, to really get to grips with that. But as soon as I did, and once I just went, okay, follow the path, the path just like, it just started opening up just boom, 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 boom. And I worked, I worked really hard. I was like, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? And I watched him. I watched him, I watched him, I watched him, I learned from him. I, uh, you know, a lot of people in my position were like, oh, I don't want to assist Harv. And I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. I couldn't have paid for a better education, no, you know, and here no. I was on his team, you know, being guided. And it was, you know, he is still, you know, I've learned 90, 95% of what I know from him in not just the training industry, just in business, in life, in, you know, how to make things work, you know, when to walk away, um, just because of the variety of stuff that he, you know, brilliantly put together. It's like, okay, where do I need to take another step forward? Where do I need to step to the side? Where do I need to stop and say, hmm, that's not really the path. Where is the path? And just wait for the guidance. You know, it's just not just working in the warrior energy, but working in the wizard energy and being able to combine the two of them together. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be there. I'm going to be in his face. I'm going to be in his face. And I did. And that's what I did. And But it did take a lot of work. It took a lot of effort. And it took a lot of support from um, other trainers, the other trainers that were, you know, in his camp, his support staff, his trainer, um, coordinator at the time, Gail Kingsbury. Um, she is probably the number one reason why I was able to actually lead my first camp because she just went to bat for me. She went to bat, she went to bat, she went to bat. And she was like, Harv, let her do it. And he was like, really? You know, really? 
you know, and she, she put her, she, she basically put her job on the line for me. Wow. What are the, yeah. tra- what are the trainers that you uh, get a lot of uh, support from? Um, David Wood, uh-huh. Doug, and, <laughs> you know, we, we all, you know, David had, had become a trainer right before, um, like, like about six months before I have, I was on stage and so he was a huge influence. Doug Nelson, you know, we were we were training together at the same time. Um, he was a huge influence, you know, because he's absolutely brilliant. And he gave me like just just little solid nuggets of advice. And, you know, this is where the event the event doesn't just start when you get on stage like it starts when they walk in the door. You know, it starts at registration. Yeah. You know, it's like you got to make sure that, you know, your team is like on point and you know, all that good stuff. So him, David Wood, um, I watched, you know, a lot of, I didn't have a lot of whole, whole lot of female influence at that time because there just wasn't, there, there wasn't a lot to watch. I mean, there were speakers that I could watch. Like there were the Marianne Williamson's there were the, you know, I on I, I Van Zandt, you know, they were doing talks and they were out there, they were speaking, um, Les Brown, another huge influence for me. Um, taking his course and spending time with him. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Um, you know, uh, I, that, well, I, I'm really glad you mentioned David Wood because, I mean, David Wood was the one who changed the whole direction of my life. Awesome. He was the one who led the warrior <laughs> camp that I did, and that was it. Once I experienced that, yeah. <laughs> I was not the same person anymore. Yeah. Oh, my God, this is wonderful stuff. By the way, you know, for people listening who are going, what is this warrior camp? I mean, we can't reveal specific things that you do in there, but could you give them a taste of what a, an amazing experience it is? Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, in my warrior training camp is that place where you learn, uh, not only learn who you are, But more importantly, you learn who you're not, Mm. you know, and you're put in situations that reiterate and focus on like you can do anything like you can literally do anything. And the only thing that stops you is either your story, you know, your excuse um, or you're going to take that step because we we literally put you in situations where you're like, there's no way I can do that. I can't do that. No, it's just like, no. And it's, it's designed specifically for that because everything in there, we've all done, you know, it's like everything that's, that's in there, Harv did before he actually put it in there. So, you know, taking anything and, you know, just like anything in life, it's like if you, you know, you see the big picture, you take the big picture and you go, okay, what's the, the result that I want? What's the final outcome? What does that picture look like? And what do I need to do in order to get there? And then you just reverse engineer it. And you backpedal and you go, you, you step it and go, okay, what's the first step that I need to take? What's the next step? And what's the next step? And as long as you don't try to get 10 steps ahead of yourself, you know, which I'm, I'm horrible at, by the way, like, because I see the big vision and then I go, okay, just going for the vision. You know, I have to constantly have my team remind me, okay, this is the first step we need to take. And I'm like, Oh, right. Yes. Okay. One step at a time, you know, and as long as you continue to just, you know, focus on one step at a time, it's like you can accomplish anything. 
And, you know, and the course is really designed to get you into that mindset of one step at a time, one step at a time. And I do have the power within me. I do have, you know, that warrior spirit within me. I do have the enlightened part, which is, you know, and it's called enlightened warrior training camp because we combine so much heart with the physical you know, it's not mm-hmm. just about like going out and doing stuff. It's like, what's it, what's it going to take in your spirit, in your heart? You know, because it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not about your muscles. It's about the strength of your spirit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we cultivate that. And, and it's five days. And when you, when you commit to it, you leave your home and you go and mm-hmm. stay in a camp with people. You don't have contact with the internet. You don't have your cell phone. You are immersed in this experience for five days. And I remember, I remember the beautiful statement they made that the, the mandate of the course is to tame the cobra of fear. Fear. Yeah. Exactly. And where did you teach your first one? Was it in New York State? No, my first one was in, um, was in California, was here oh. in California. It was oh. out in, in, uh, we used to use this place out in, um, like out by Palm Springs. Uh-huh. And yeah, so that was my very first one. Actually, my first three were out there. So Wendy told yeah. you, you're going to be teaching it. What came up for you and what anxieties or fears did you have to overcome in order to actually do it? You know what? It was funny because he didn't actually tell me um, Doug Nelson told me and he told me when I was, I was assisting him at a camp. I was his assistant trainer at a camp that one of the first camps that he had led and he had led like three, three or something like that. And then was supposed to lead another one and was like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of beat. Like I need a break. And then Gail pushed and, and, you know, he asked Doug, you know, is she ready? And he was like, yeah, she's ready. Like there's nothing else that she needs to there's not, there's nowhere else to take her except for, you know, to lead. And, you know, I was, I was, uh, leading a piece that, that I was assisting at and I was leading a piece on, on, uh, you know, we were doing our affirmations and things like that. And I had put them in an exercise and he came up and he said, I still have the note. I still have the note from him from 2006, 10 years ago, where he came up and he slid a note onto the desk, I'm getting, getting emotional just talking about it, where he said, and it said, um, and I opened up the note while I was teaching, and it said, Harv gave you the go-ahead. Congratulations. You deserve it. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mm. And, you know, and it was just like, wow. And I still have that note. Mm. I carry it with me in my, in my binder every time I teach camp. I have that note of Doug Nelson's with me. Isn't it amazing how those moments are so profound yeah. and and how they 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 become these important triggers to uh, get us to the best place possible in our in ourselves. Yeah. You know, I love that. That's just so wonderful. And it's particularly wonderful for me because I've been to warrior camp. So I 
I can experience what you're telling me on a, on not just on an intellectual level, you know. Right. It's a, right. I wish it I wish it for everybody in this who's listening to eventually exactly. seek it out. The company is now called New Peaks. I have done a podcast interview with the uh, CEO of the company, Adam Markell, and uh, seek it out because it will definitely you'll create the most powerful story for your life imaginable once you imaginable yeah yes. yeah it's true now you know it's interesting oh i yeah uh, do you personally grow and change during the courses when you teach every time yeah every time one of the biggest lessons i got you know because my first camp was so powerful um and then the next camp was so different it's not that it wasn't powerful but it was different you know I had to really like grasp very early in my training career that no two courses are the same. The students are different. They each have, each group of students has their own dynamic um, and they have their own overarching, um, I want to say theme or energy, if you will. So I had to really let go of, oh, it's all going to be you know, like fireworks every single time and just going in completely fresh, completely clean, going in knowing like, you know, my, what David Wood has, one of the things that he said to me, he said, Marjane, he said, as long as you just stick to, if you change one person's life, you will have done your job. Mm. That and that's, that, yeah. Right? Like, oh, it yeah. stuck with me. Like, oh, my God. He goes, because you just don't know what that one person is going to to do. You know? It's like you could have 5,000 people in a room. And if one of them turns around and becomes, you know, the most influential, prominent person, you know, in technology, you've done your job. Mm -hmm. I love that. Now, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, and you probably have thought of this too, it's not unlike acting. If you're acting in a stage play, every night it's different, and every audience brings its own particular personality and energy. Totally. Totally. Same thing. Like, like you can't assume, you can't assume that it's all going to be exactly the same. You know, one group may laugh at one joke at one time, and one group may not. <laughs> you know? and, the, and, the, and the beauty of that is that if you make the mistake of trying to recapture a performance that you really loved, you start taking yourself out of the now and living in the past, and it doesn't work. Totally. Oh, this is wonderful. Totally. These yeah. are wonderful. Par- now, I just thought of this question. I know that you're getting back into film now. Mm-hmm. Let's say somebody came to you tomorrow and they said, okay, you have to make a decision. You can become an actress again and work as much as you want, or you're going to remain a powerful trainer in the world of personal development, but you can't have both. Which one would you choose? Oh, God. Ah, you got to oh. choose. Yep, you got to choose one. You know what? I think I would probably, I'd probably choose acting because now I know what to choose 
in order to make the difference that I can make in personal growth. Wow, I love that. Thank you. And, and, and be able to influence even more people. <laughs> wow, so what is it that you love most about acting? God, what do I love most about it? I think what I love most about it is, um, well, A, I'm just a big, big ham. I love being in front of the camera. But the thing that really, you know, lights me up is that, um, that it's a team. Like, we're a team. Like, I'm from the, I mean, and I'm, I don't know if any, all actors think this way, but this is how I think. Because um, I started out in film, in film production. Like, I didn't start out in front of the camera. I started out as a production assistant. And then a director said, hey, I've got this part, Bill and Ted, do you want to audition? And I auditioned, and I got it. So I know, and having, you know, um, studied and focused on producing and directing television, that it's a team effort. Like, you can have a star, but if you don't have a good director of photography, the star's not going to look good. If you don't have a good director the action's not going to come together. If you don't have a great team behind you, like wardrobe, makeup, hair, um, props, all the, the gaffers, the lighting, the, the, you know, the, the transportation, the caterers, like everybody is a team. And yeah, that's I, what yeah. I like most about it. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Now, how about this aspect of it that touches on the idea of team, that, I mean, an egotistical actor is all about his or her individual performance, but a truly grounded actor is about working off of what they're being given by the other actors and actresses in scenes, so that there's that give and take that uh, one plus one is not two, it's three, it's five, right. it's six, and that you grow together as you perform you do i mean especially you know when you're on a television series like, oh yeah like it's just it's just there but you know it's interesting that you say that because you know i like i said i had the same acting coach for 14 years um because he was always he was always morphing his technique and and transforming and you know, elevating and, and, you know, I stayed with him for that reason, because he was always innovative in his approach to acting. And, and it was really interesting, the way he works with us is that he works with us to not depend on anyone else. He said, because you know what, you might not get what you need no, from no. the other actor. Yeah. And so you have to learn how to generate whatever it is. And one of the biggest compliments I ever got was from John Carpenter. I worked with John Carpenter on his movie um, Vampires, and even though it was a stunt, it was a stunt gig. We were, you know, these master vampires, and we didn't have, you know, there was no data or dialogue. It was just us walking around, being vampires, killing people, you know, fighting with people. And there would be these scenes, you know, and coming from the stunt acting background and from the acting background. You know, there was a scene and we were we were watching something happen, you know, some crucifixion or something crazy. And he came over to me in between one of the shots and he said, you know, you always have something going on. Like, 
even after I say, you know, cut, and before I even, you know, say roll. And I said, well, yeah, because I don't, he, he goes, even if you're not on camera. And I said, well, yeah, because I don't know, you might, you might decide to move the camera and I can't be standing there looking like, you know, with, with my finger up my nose or whatever. I was like, I got to be in the scene. And mm. he was like, huh. He was like, thank you. And I said, I'm just doing my job. Like just doing my job because that's how I was trained. It's like, you know, my coach said, he goes, don't, don't take it for granted that you're off camera. Some of your best work's going to be off camera because you need to be there for, you know, your co-stars to give them as much as you've got, you know? And I know that there's, there are a lot of actors that, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to save my energy off camera. And he's like, you know, that's where you get to practice. Like if you're the first one that's off camera, you get to practice. For when you're on camera, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I love it. You know, uh, when I was um, beginning my acting training, I had a wonderful teacher. He still teaches acting today. His name is Michael Beckett. I actually did an interview with him. Um, very spiritual man, and he said something I've never ever forgotten. He said, "Great acting is really an act of generosity." It's your ability to give, not to take. It's to give. You give of yourself. You give when you trust the other actors in the scene and you receive from them. I said, wow, I've never, never thought of that before. But it's a very beautiful thing. That's personal growth when when you're experiencing it at that level, you know? Yeah. Now, what do you love? Well, you know what? Before I ask that, what are your three favorite books? Oh, geez. My three favorite books. Well, my number one favorite book of all time is called The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Scovel Shin. She um, was a metaphysician. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I love that book. Um, I just read a book called Runaway Success by uh, that was written by a friend of mine who um, competed in these extreme... Um, extreme desert races, the four major deserts in the world. And talk about an inspirational story of, of just warrior and spirit. Like, wow. Um, and God, what else? What, what's like, the, there's, what's there's the author's like, name? What's the author's his name? name? Is, <laughs> his, his name is um, Thaddeus Lawrence. Okay. Yeah, he's from Singapore. He's he's one of my assistant trainers, and I thought, oh my god, this is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, yeah, just a human human spirit story. And let's see, what else? What else? God, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a third. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but 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 the one that really like it's my it's sort of like my Bible, the game of life and how to play it. It really is. Florence Scovelshin was just such an amazing thought leader and she put out a series of books like your word is your wand um uh your thoughts create your reality you know things like that and she's just brilliant and this book it's like it's like a hundred page book the game of life and how to play it and i have read that book so many times i must have read that book like 50 times because it's just like she just gives you all of these simple little things of 
how life actually works. Like this is the game of life. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. these, you know, positive thoughts, your energy. It's just like the law of attraction. She was talking the law of attraction way before Abraham Hicks came along. Uh-huh. And, you know, and it was just like I found that book in like 1989 and it's been in my library ever since. That is beautiful. And, you know, of course, um, uh, my audience of storytellers, you could search that book out on Audible in an audio format. And if you find it there, you can download it for free as a listener to the show by simply going to audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Now, do you have what would be the ideal film role that you would get, the one that would win you an Academy Award? Oh, God. An Academy Award? Yeah. Jeez. You know? Come, come on. If I, you don't, could... I, I don't think the role, my ideal role, would actually win me an Academy Award, but it would win me the, the, the place in the heart of my daughter. Okay. And, you know, and that was, you know, that was the role of Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I wanted that role. I was like, oh, my God, this this is like such my role, such my role. I mean, I am a big action star, superhero lover. And I was like, you know, I just like my big thing is like I need to play a superhero in a movie. Bottom mm-hmm. line, mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. superhero all the way. Um, so, yeah, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, when when it was being it was in pre-production a friend of mine was working on the film and he was like oh my god you're Gamora you you have to like like this is your role and I was like you're right it is you know and I just didn't have the way and the means to get in there and get that get it at that time and I was just like oh this was the role for me you know and then you know a bunch of my friends and and way back when X-Men came out and you know I auditioned for the role of Storm and they gave it to Halle Berry and I was like oh Storm. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone's like, but you should have been Storm. And I'm like, don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Listen, you lose to Halle Berry. It's it's not as bad as losing to somebody that you don't respect. You know, I, I just lost a role to uh, Paul Sorvino. and. There you uh, go. And I take my hat <laughs> off to him. You know, I worked with exactly. him. He's a great guy. So that's the business. Uh, Margene, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, let's see. Five years, I will um, most likely have that, that action role under my belt. It'll be in the can and the movie will and the series will be a huge success. There's something in the works right now. Um, I will have, uh, I'll be living on a, on a ranch style retreat spa center, um, living that dream because that's like a big dream for me to have my own retreat center, um, and have multiple retreat centers around the world that are all connected. Um, and, and having an amazing, amazing, uh, teen year experience with, with my daughter, you know, in five years, she's going to be 16 or 15. (laughs) And, um, you know, we've been in manifestation and planning for, you know, she lives in Edmonton with her dad right now. Um, so when she gets to be a teenager, she'll live with me. And we've been we've been in the planning stages and the manifestation stages of our retreat center for 
for, for a few years now. And, and she's like, mom, when we have the retreat center, like, like it's amazing because she's just so on board with it. She's like, when we have the retreat center, can we have this animal? Can we have that animal? You know, and the first animal out of her mouth was we should have a giraffe. And I'm like, how about we start with a dog? <laughs> yeah, a dog with a long neck. <laughs> that is wonderful. Can you uh, share with people how they can reach you and if they want to take advantage of your training, especially uh, women? Um, do do yeah. you also have courses for men or do you specialize only in women? You know, I do have do have courses for men. I am the, one of the co-creators and owners of a new company called Three Source Enterprises. So um, our uh, website is in the works at the moment. But you can get a hold of me on Facebook, Marjane Holden Fans on Facebook. Um, I always put up everything that, that is going to be coming down the pipe on that fan page. Or you can visit on Power of the Goddess. Or you can follow me on Twitter, at Marjane Holden on Twitter. Um, Marjane Holden on Instagram. Power of the Goddess on Instagram. Um, but yeah, we will eventually, we will, we will, the, the women of power is a new venture that's coming out next year in 2017. And we will be putting together some men's courses as well, because we always, 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 when I have a women's course, whenever I have a goddess retreat or I have a women's course, men are always like, Hey, what about us? Uh -huh, so, uh -huh. So we will be developing some, some courses for men, particularly their questions are, how do we live peacefully with women? How do we understand them? And I'm oh, like, geez, oh, wait, how, wait much time, wait. how much time do you have? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't, we don't, we don't need a course for that. No, they should just call me and they'll ask me the question and I'll say, uh, it's just going to cost you $10. You, yeah. have to, you have to pay in advance. They give me the $10. I say, okay, you ready for the answer? Write it down. <laughs> you don't. You don't. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, by the way, uh, storytellers, Marjean is M-A-R-J-E-A-N, Holden, H-O-L-D-E-N. Now, any final words for our, uh, to inspire the people who are listening? I will um, leave them with this. Believe in the magic of your dreams. That is such a, you know, to some people that might sound hokey, but I've experienced that it's, profound so thank it you is. so much for that hey it's You're been welcome. a it's been such a joy spending this hour with you and um i'd love to have you back on the show fabulous i would love to come back thank you for having me and yeah thank you for everyone for to everyone for listening and um yeah believe in the magic of your dreams and go out there and shine your light mm-hmm Thank you once again, storytellers, for tuning in today and spending time with me and Marjean Holden. Continue the dialogue with me. Let me know what you received today from Marjean. Let me know what you'd like to see in the show going forward. Send your comments to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. 
Remember that you can enjoy this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, on the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. And I have a special gift for you on the website, a download of an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. When you apply the principles in that book, it will take you from being invisible to visible to sought after and highly in demand. Definitely take advantage of the offer made by Audible to the listeners of this show. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and download a free audiobook of your choice from 180,000 titles and also get a free one-month trial of Audible's entire service. Now, during the next week, really give some thought. No, not just thought. Take the step to live into your power, to step into the face of that deep fear that we all have, that we are powerful beyond measure. Begin to find the courage by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.